some water, which I'll need. <laughs> and I uh, think I need an additional, we'll stand here. <coughs> My name is Jerry uh, Singh. I'm one of the elders here and uh, missionary, pastor, uh, husband, father. And uh, it, it is just a tremendous uh, blessing to be a part of this church and, uh, and the leadership. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. <clears throat> but before we do that, I would like to tell you a little story. And it was written in the 1800s. An amazing man of God, a businessman in Chicago. His name was Horatio Spafford. Some of you may be familiar with him and his story. <clears throat> but he was a lawyer, a businessman in Chicago. He experienced some eventful uh, moments in his life. He went through the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. It was during this time his son died of a fever. He was close friends with D.L. Moody and Sankey and those guys. And <clears throat> we are told that one day he uh, decided to take a vacation conveniently. Uh, Moody was preaching in England. So he was going on a vacation to be with Moody. Most missionaries do that. <laughs> um, but we're told that he sent his wife uh, ahead of him with his four daughters. He wanted to be on that same ship, but he couldn't because of uh, some uh, difficulties in business, and he had to stay back, take care of that, and head to England. It was days later, he, he got a telegram. And on that telegram, it says, uh, from his wife, uh, Linda, she said, I alone survived, all is lost. Apparently what had happened was that the, the ship that she was uh, sailing on collided with another vessel. And um, uh, many people lost their lives, including... Horatio's four daughters. And at that point, he not only was shocked, but didn't know how to respond. And, uh, and you can just imagine uh, th that mo emotional moment. How, how can someone survive that experience, losing not only his son earlier, but his four daughters uh, we're told that days later he took a sh another ship to England and, and while he was crossing the Atlantic, the captain, uh, the captain notified him that he, they were in the vicinity of where the ship went down and where his, his four daughters perished. And at that point, <clears throat> uh, as he wept and as he looked to God, uh, God inspired him and and, and, and there, Mr. Hiroshio penned the words of this song. It says, When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, 
whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's the story behind that song. And the next time you sing that, don't just put it aside, hey, this is one of the old, old hymns, we don't need that anymore. This is a powerful, inspirational song. It was written with passion and with, <clears throat> with, with, with a sense of contentment, a sense of tranquility that Horatio knew that all was well. It was a deep-down confidence that all is well. And that's what Horatio Spafford experienced. And in that type of tragedy... <clears throat> You wonder how can one survive that. And there's some of you this morning, you're going through things in your own life. Perhaps God is taking you through a wilderness period. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you are in, going through a divorce. Maybe your, your, your children have walked away from the Lord. Maybe you yourself, you're struggling health-wise. And you don't know where to turn or who to turn to. This morning, I pray to God that you will not leave this place the same way that you came in. That the burdens you came in with, you would leave it at the foot of Jesus. Amen? There'll be elders, and, 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 and I want to invite the elders' wives to come on up. And, and, and let's, let's pray for our brethren this morning. If you have a need, if you're, you're struggling with something in your life, um, let's meet with God. I, I am always concerned about we're leaving the same place, leaving the place the same way we came back. If you do that, <laughs> you will do yourself the greatest injustice. Meet with God this morning. Seize the moment. Let's not leave this place the same way we came in. <clears throat> As we go into uh, John chapter 14, and I have two versions in front of me, so please uh, bear with me. <laughs> this is a section that uh, we're going to see unfolding uh, where Jesus is pouring out his heart and his soul to the disciples. In fact, we, we call this section of John's gospel the upper room discourse from chapter 13 to chapter 16, verse 33. And in here, Jesus gave the final instruction. He gave tremendous promises, encouragement. He wanted to impart in them his final words. This was hours before he would be taken to the cross. He, would take, he was taken to the cross 9 o'clock that morning uh, on Friday. This was Thursday night. And going into the wee hours of the morning, we noted a Gethsemane experience. The transfigure, uh, sorry, the Gethsemane experience. And in this section, uh, Pastor Sean talked about uh, chapter 13 last week. And he focused in on love. And in fact, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. What's the next phrase? As I have loved you. Now in the Old Testament, the test of love toward your neighbor, the test of love, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 5, we're told, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So the test of love to your neighbor in the Old Testament was how much you love yourself. You love God and then you, it's, it's equivalent to love for yourself. That's how much you love God, uh, love your neighbor. In the New Testament, 
Jesus added to that. A new commandment I give to you. He wasn't abolishing the old. He was building upon the old. He was fulfilling the old. And so the test of loving your neighbor in the New Testament, the new commandment is, you shall love one another as what? I have loved you. That is the test. It is no longer about you loving yourself. Um, the self-help uh, folks, that's what they focus on. It's about loving yourself. Isn't that right? These motiva motivational speakers, that's what they do. It's about how you lift up yourself. I think Whitney Houston got it wrong. The greatest love of all is what, what did she say? That you love yourself. But in the New Testament, this is the new commandment. This is the test of our love to our neighbor. That you love one another as Christ has loved us. If you want to compare, you compare with how much Christ has loved us. And it's unconditional. It's unending. It cannot even be compared. <clears throat> so that is the test of true love. How much Christ has loved us. <clears throat> the disciples were completely bewildered. They were discouraged. Jesus had said that he was going away. In chapter 7 of John, we find that. And in chapter 8 and chapter 12 and so on. That he would die. In chapter 12, he spoke about that. In John chapter 12. <clears throat> that one of the 12 was a traitor. Last week, we learned about that. From Pastor Sean. That Satan was at work against them in Luke chapter 22. That the disciples would fall away in Matthew chapter 26. And so the culminative weight of this revelation took its toll. They were depressed. They were discouraged. They had a lot of questions. You see, in their minds, and again, I just referring to Pastor Sean, he gave us a, an excellent description of the attitude of the disciples. What they were looking for was really an earthly kingdom. They didn't grasp. They couldn't connect the dots as they wanted to, uh, or as they should. Jesus spoke about things, and they, they just dismissed it because they were looking for a physical kingdom. They were looking for a Messiah who would uh, conquer Rome and usher in the kingdom. In their minds, that is what they, were, they thought was going to happen. Even though Jesus told, told them the truth and explained to them the, how the events would unfold. But really, it was only after the resurrection, then their eyes were open. And they began to, to, to remember the things. In fact, that's one of the things that uh, in chapter 14, Jesus said that would happen, that the Holy Spirit would reveal truth to them. And so, as we read chapter 14 from verse 1, it says here, do not, let your heart, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in this, this section, Jesus comforts his disciples and he first gives them some exhortation. And this is a, a, an extremely powerful verse. We hear it in funerals. We hear it in times of discouragement. And Jesus is giving to them the hope that they so needed. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. That's exactly what was going on in the hearts of the disciples. The, dis- the despondency, the discouragement of all they, had, uh, all they were told. And Jesus was about to leave. And he reminded them of that. And somehow, again, it was hard for them to connect the dots. And he told them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. He brought this to their, to their attention. Don't take it lightly. You have reason to be encouraged. You have a reason to be encouraged. And the promises that he's going to display in this chapter, it would, uh, they would be reminded of this time and time again after the resurrection. And, uh, and so as we, we look at the exhortation, he also compounded that with some promises. And from verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, what in the world did he mean by that? Now, we find that in the Bible, there is a beginning and there is an end. Something is happening here, folks. We have the whole story. We have the final revelation. There's nothing more to be added. A few days ago, while uh, doing some work in my, uh, offloading some stuff from our trailer, um, somebody was with me and we, we, he was helping me out and, and then about four guys showed up on our front yard, dressed in white, black ties. And my, my buddy said, uh, Jerry, I got to go. <laughs> and I'm grabbing, and the guy, don't leave me. <laughs> he ditched me. <laughs> and uh, I, I really, I, I, I got into a conversation with them, and the basic message was, you know, we have a great story to tell you. Uh, we want to share about the love of Jesus. And before they went any further, I asked them several questions. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? They said, yes. I said, no, I'm not talking about uh, a God. I'm talking about the God, the creator of the world. The one who paid the ultimate price for the sins of humanity. The one who died on the cross, who was buried and who rose again from the dead. The one who is not a brother of Satan. And he's not a created being. The one who said that I prepared a place for you for all those who believe in him. The one who said I will come back for you. Is that the Jesus you're talking about? And they said no. I was able to share the gospel with them. And one of the guys grabbed the other one and said we got to leave. <laughs> it was a beautiful scene. It was just it's like guys don't leave now. I go to prepare a place for you. This is the promise for every believer. And that's what I'm saying to you. Whatever you're going through, sometimes this is why we give up. That's why we want to throw in the towel. We, we, we sense that somehow we can't bear this alone. And I'm encouraging you this morning, whatever you're going through, brethren, to hold on. Be encouraged. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. He's doing that right at this moment. I go to prepare a place for you. Brethren, this is what hope is all about. In chapter 13, we talked about, talked about love, and, and, and you went into the graphic details of what that is all about. In chapter 14, we see love demonstrated. We see demonstrated through the hope of the future that we have in Christ. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
And we need to be encouraged with that this morning. Some of us, we dismiss the idea that he is really going to prepare a place. Listen, it's been so long. Over 2,000 years ago. And, we get, and many of us, we get into the mindset that, you know, he didn't really mean it. Jesus means what he says. He said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Amen? And even if I don't believe it, that still settles it. Because it's going to happen. I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine? You read in the book of Revelation 19, 20, 21, and you, you, you begin to see the, the picture, what is going to unfold. You begin to see the, the beauty of heaven. That we will be with him, my friend. We need to consider what is going to happen in our near future. Life is like a vapor. It just appears for a while, then vanishes. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after death is the judgment. We, we can't take that lightly. Friends, I, 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 not too long ago, I, I, in fact, in, uh, while we were in England, and by the way, I, 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 was, I was supposed to mention this to you, next week Sunday, please don't miss it, Sunday night at 6 p.m., we're giving a report on the England mission trip. Please come on out and hear what God has done. Okay, you're going to hear uh, Dave. Where's Dave? You skedaddle? Dave, you're going to hear his British accent. <laughs> that was a, an amazing trip, and we're going to share a little bit with you what the Lord did and, and, uh, and the opportunities for the future and how you can also be involved. Okay, that's at 6 o'clock next week, uh, Sunday. But again, in Revelation, describes for us what's going to happen in heaven. Uh, the beauty. And then we're told about uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth. This is the promise of Jesus. This is one of his promises. I go to prepare a place for you. Not only did he go to prepare a place for you, but I will come back for you. It's not just about a God who is out there and is, went up to heaven and is doing something and preparing a nice building and a, high, a, a nice house. No, but he's going to come back for us. Paul reminds us in the book of Thessalonians that the trump of the Lord shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive shall be caught up and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you looking forward to that this morning, brethren? It's going to happen. And sometimes we give up hope and that should be a motivation for us not only to live the life he has called us to live but to tell others about this place that he's going to come back and take us to. Heaven is not only real, it's going to happen and you're going to be part of it. God is in our, on our side. We know from the end, from the beginning, what's going to happen. And you know what it's all about? He wins. And because we are in Christ, we win. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And the promise, I will go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will receive you to myself. We belong to Jesus. I want to say something to you this morning, and, and for some it might be controversial. <clears throat> I spoke to a, a Pentecostal guy not too long ago, and uh, he, he couldn't see through this. But you know, whatever you're going through this morning, whatever experience that you uh, might be part of your life this morning, whatever travesty, whatever tragedy, whatever pain, whatever discomfort, Whatever sickness, whatever it is that you're going through, nothing comes to you unless it first goes through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? And before 
it comes to you, there must be a plan and a purpose behind it. That's called the sovereignty of God. And that's what he's doing in our lives. And although we may have to hold on for a little while, one day he's going to give us a new body. There'll be no more pain and there'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more financial troubles. There'll be nothing like that, my friend. We're going to be with Jesus free of all this. And you know what? He's going to wipe away all the tear from your eyes. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. And friends, that was, that's what he was explaining to the disciples. You, this is not the time to be discouraged. This is not the time to give up and throw in the towel. This is not the time to walk away. I see believers all the time. And every, every time you hear, they're, they're discouraged about something. They're, they're, uh, you, it's like you're talking to a sourpuss. <laughs> Come on, brethren. We have something to rejoice about. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. We have a promise that he is coming back for us. He's preparing a place for us. And it could be today. Are you ready? Paul tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And it seems like when he ran out of words, he said, and again I say rejoice. It's a deep down confidence that all is well regardless of what you're going through. What a promise. And he's going to compound that statement in the end. And it, uh, Again, time is running on me here, so wow, I don't know how Sean does this. <laughs> Wait, just in chapters 1 and 2. Okay, let's, let's run quickly, right? Uh, not only did he give us these promises, but it's, it's a divine imagery. It's a beautiful thing of what he's telling us here. I'm going to give you a little exercise this morning. If you can get the next slide. <clears throat> Those of you who are married, can I see your hand? Ah. Oh. Can you look at your spouse and, and just shower some love on her or him this morning? Tell them how much you love them. Uh, I love you too, babes. Oh, man. Okay, quickly. All right, we're right. Come on, you guys taking too long with this, okay? <laughs> Mark, come on, knock it off. Come on, just engage couples. Can I see your hand? Engage, come on. Where are you? Where's Doug? Doug. Okay, Doug, come on. Let's shut it up. Tell your fiance how much you. Come on. Oh, my God. You know what, Doug? You hesitated, bro. This is not the time to hesitate, okay? <laughs> come on. I... <laughs> okay, for those of you who are looking, those of you who are checking out someone, can you see your hand? <laughs> I'm seeing it. God, you gotta get whiplash. <laughs> okay, no, this is not for you. <laughs> but in, from verses from verses uh, one to four, this is a, a a divine marriage imagery, and and what it's really talking about here, Jesus is is giving us an idea of a marriage that has taken place. It's a picture of a Jewish wedding. In the Bible, we are told that the church is the what. Is the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. Now, in the, in, in the Jewish wedding, in fact, in for my own culture, in Trinidad, where I was born, uh, you don't know this, but, uh, I, but I had my wife chosen for me as a little boy. I'm like, what? When I was like 12 or 13, I found out I, who that person was. I hated that person with a passion. <laughs> I mean, I did everything to, 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 to communicate. I not only 
despised you, but I'm going to demonstrate it on a daily basis. <laughs> we would throw, my buddies and I would throw cow manure on the ground. Anyway, I'm not going <laughs> to. It wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Anyway, I, God, obviously that never happened. That didn't take place. And God uh, blessed me beyond my imagination with my wife <clears throat> many years later. But in, uh, in the Jewish wedding, <clears throat> the, there would be a great negotiation. The groom and the father would negotiate with the bride. And they would dis- decide upon a dowry. What was the price that they would give the bride, uh, the bride's parents? What was it that they were going to give them as, as a gift, as a dowry to secure that wedding? The dowry was, would be given and then the legal papers would be signed. This was called, uh, would be called, uh, they would be betrothed, the sword in Lion King. It would be betrothed. And betrothed was, uh, was legal. That's what happened to Mary and Joseph. And then, the, fa- uh, then the, bra- uh, the, the groom would leave and go to his father's house and build a beautiful uh, house, mansion, dwelling place. And then in time, he would come back to get his bride. He would come back in all his pageantry and music and horses and dancing and, and, and just a beautiful celebration that would go on for a long while. And take the bride and they will uh, go to their father's house. Do you see what was going on here? Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. It's a divine marriage imagery. We're married to Jesus, and he's going to come back. That's what, that's what seals the deal here, that the bride is waiting. And we've been given specific instructions. What is our duty while the groom is gone? We should be busy. We should be prayerful. We should be hopeful. We should be prepared. And he's giving the instructions of what we ought to do as the bride, the church, the divine imagery of a Jewish wedding. And it's a beautiful thing that he has done and that's how he, he sort of uh, uh, compounded this whole picture from, uh, from, uh, from his, the exhortation to the promises by wrapping it up with a divine marriage, a Jewish marriage imagery. And so again, because of time, I, I got to run here, okay? Um, uh, the other part of that, the eternal comfort and fellowship, that where I am, there you may be also. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Oh my gosh, isn't that awesome? We're going to be with him forever. We're going to see the nail prints in his hand. We're going to get to ask him questions. And he's going to have fellowship with us. That where I am, there you may be also. From verses 5 and 7, we, uh, seven, we see the dialogue with Thomas. Again, I don't have much time here uh, to go into a lot of details, but Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way, uh, where you're going, and how do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is what separates us from every religion in the world. That is why all religions will one day merge to form a one-world religious system. And that will usher in the Antichrist. And go and the tribulation period and so forth. This is it right here. Don't be patronized. 
When people come up to you and tell you that, hey, you know, the Bible needs to change with our times and our culture. You cannot be so rigid. You, you cannot be so close-minded. And there was a, a graphic warning in this, my friend. Jesus said, I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. In the Bible, in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, Christianity was known as the way. The way. We see that introduced in the book of Acts. But there are people who are coming to you and, and coming to us and telling us, listen, we need to be a more accommodating. Jesus made it clear that I am the way. I am the only way to God. You see, friends, there was one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no name under the heavens whereby we must be saved but through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus never said my mother was the way. He never said my brother was the way. He never said Peter was the way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And we could be seeker-friendly and end it there, but you know what the dire warning is all about? No one comes to the Father but through me. If there was a possibility, a remote possibility, of us getting to heaven outside of Jesus dying on the cross, he didn't have to die. He didn't need to do it. And that is why you're finding people coming up with ideas how they could come around the cross, how we could get to heaven. You must go through Jesus Christ, my Lord, uh, my friend. <laughs> we must go through Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, that's right. And never compromise. That's the backbone of Christianity. That's the foundation right there. If that crumbles, then you have religion. Jesus made it absolutely clear that I am the way. I'm the only way to God the Father. I'm going to quickly just read, the, read, the, read, the, read into all of that as uh, we continue the chapter. In verses 5 and 7, you see the, the dialogue with Thomas. Again, the, uh, Jesus is the only way and the oneness of the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And this is the question that's going to come up. Jesus is going to address it again with Philip. And then again with Judas later on in this chapter. <clears throat> But quickly, Philip, also the dialogue with, with Philip, <coughs> excuse me, again talking about the oneness of the Father revealed by Christ. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not, you're not, you have not come to know me, uh, Philip? He was, who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not? Uh, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me, and I, I, am, I am in the Father and, and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Wow, this is a loaded dialogue with Philip. But again, the whole idea is about the oneness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Trinity coming through this passage. It is an amazing thing. They were told about this before, but they couldn't connect the dots. Philip was the one in chapter 1 of of the book of John. He understood who Jesus was. He understood him to be the Messiah. He confessed that. And here it is, he couldn't grasp the oneness of the Father and and, and with Jesus. They're both one. But if you don't believe me, and believe my words, look at the works that I have done. Basically, that's what he was saying. Two things going on here. <coughs> Consider the works, uh, sorry, the words in verse 10. Now, I do want to say this to you. This is, this is critical. Because sometimes I feel like we, we are shortchanged. We go to pray for somebody in the street. They're crippled or they're sick. And we pray for them and, and then they're not healed. We share the gospel, but sometimes we leave thinking, you know what, we didn't, God didn't use us. Or it, didn't, uh, it wasn't accomplished, but God, uh, God didn't accomplish through us what he had intended. That is not the case. If you share the word of God, that is priority. It is the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrows. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is only the word of God that can separate. It is only the word of God that can cut, that can convict. (coughs) That is what God's intention is all about. He preached the word. That was enough. But not only did he preach the word, he, he provided miracles, so many great things that Jesus did to authenticate his ministry, his mission, his person. And there Jesus uh, uh, told him, uh, told Philip and, and, and the rest of the disciples, truly, truly I say to you in verse 12, believe in me and the works that I do, and he will do also. <clears throat> and greater works than these you will do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do and so on and so forth. Now, there, there, there's a lot of interpretations with this. And there's some who would go to the extreme. You see, you see, we can do greater miracles than Jesus. And you have people actually who actually preach that. What is the greatest miracle that took place? Anybody know? It was what? The resurrection. Jesus said, I had the power to lay down my life. And I have the power to what? To take it up again. Jesus was the only one who could do that. Which, do you know anyone who have ever done that? Who laid down their life and take it up again? That's the greatest miracle that ever took place. This was not talking about necessarily uh, uh, miracles in the sense of quality. This was quantitative. This was geographical. Jesus, his ministry was limited to the country he was born, except the time he went into exile as a baby into Egypt. That's the only time he crossed the borders of his own country. But the Bible explains for us that the disciples, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It's quantitative. It's geographical. And God does miracles with it. Praise the Lord. Let's run here. 
Oh, boy. The 16 to 21. Please read it through. He will send a helper. Uh, uh, I got to read that. <laughs> and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And by the way, uh, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, and so forth. Whatever you ask in my name. Uh, John, the same John who wrote First John, in chapter 5, he explains that in the context. Bible always interprets itself. You shall ask anything in my name according to his, his will. I will do it. That, that's the context of that, okay? Um, I will ask the Father of, uh, to give you a helper and, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> That is spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Gosh, I got to talk this to Sean. <laughs> I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And in the day, you, you will know that I am in the Father. Verse 27, let's jump here. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. And I'll wrap it up here with this, with this again because of time. But this is absolutely uh, critical. As Jesus, he wraps up this time in the upper room. And he focuses on something here that they needed to have. You see, in the midst of, of that turmoil, it would be hours where Jesus, uh, would you, he would be arrested then you would be taken to Annas, then Caiaphas, then before the Sanhedrin. Then you would be taken before Pilate, then before Herod, and then before Pilate again. Six uh, uh, religious trials and six le- uh, uh, civil trials, and they will all be illegal. And it was at this point, he gave, in the midst of this turmoil and this confusion, he offered to them peace. It's that tranquility of mind. My peace I leave with you. Just before that, he, he referred to the helper of the Holy Spirit. That he, they would, he would indwell them permanently and the ability to love one another and so forth. And because of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, that's how they can have that peace. And man, on a side note, let me just remind you that this Holy Spirit, we see that in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon believers the Old Testament saints, for a purpose, for a mission, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. It wasn't permanent. The Holy Spirit would come and go. In the New Testament, because the blood was ratified by God and God alone, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. And it's repeated in Paul's epistles. God, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit permanently. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's an argument that comes up on, uh, 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 over and over again. The, the receiving of the Holy Spirit has to do with God and God alone. He does it. He ratified the covenant with Him alone. It has nothing to do with you or me. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the ability to do things that we never had before. And the role of the Holy Spirit as a helper, as a, He permanently dwells us. The ability to love. And the dialogue with Judas now kind of wraps all of this. The promise of the Holy Spirit as the divine teacher. And verse, verse 27, as the peace giver. 
I'll share more about this in the second service. You, <coughs> you, can, you, can, you, can, you can share those. Uh, 13 letters Paul wrote, and 12 of them begins with grace and peace. Wow. And uh, the whole idea of peace is both objective and subjective. In other words, the peace I leave with you. God did it. Nothing to do with us. He left it with us. You have the ability that in the midst of trouble to live in peace. And the subjective part of that, first I leave, peace I leave with you. And the peace of God in you. The peace of God in you. It's internal. Only God can give it. My peace I give to you, not as the world give, give I unto you. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, that the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, this can only come. This peace can only come through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. We were enemies of God. And because and the book of Colossians chapter 1 explains that. We were enemies of God. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, he went on the cross. He was plunged into the abyss of nagging agony and died in ignominy and suffering and shame. And the Bible tells us he paid the ultimate price. He died for your sins and mine. He not only died for our sins, but he died in our place. He took our sins and he took our place. And the day we place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive not only salvation, but we receive peace of God, permanent peace. We are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer in enmity with God the Father. God has reconciled us through, through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has brought us together. Friends, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Him, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, this is your moment. Verse 31, but so that the world may know that I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father, Father commanded me. Get up, let us go here. God was obedient unto death. Now Jesus was obedient unto death. And in Philippians chapter 2 gives us the graphic details that in chapter 2 he was obedient unto death. And there's a word in the next verse that explains it. The graphicness in the Greek. I don't have time to go into that. It says, he was obedient unto death. And the next word is, even the death of the cross. And it brings into focus, the, again, the graphicness of what Jesus Christ went through. His death, burial, and resurrection. And we see what happened again in the end of the uh, uh, 9, 10, 11, uh, and so forth, that, that Paul uh, tells us, describes for us, that he was, uh, his, his, his resurrection, then his exaltation. Then we see in heaven his coronation. And last of all, we see a declaration of his sovereignty. All that in chapter 2. Christ did all of that so that you and I can experience eternal peace with him. Friends, don't leave this place without experiencing that today. Let's just pray. And <clears throat> Father, we're thankful for your word and, and for the peace that you offer us. It is only because of Jesus Christ. Oh God, there's someone here today who have not experienced that peace. that calmness, that tranquility, that you can stand and say, oh, it is well with my soul, that all is well. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. 
that we can experience that peace today. We praise you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Sure. 